0: So we're in chapter 35 of Genesis, 15 more chapters to go. As the members of this church know, it has been my endeavor to try to get through Genesis in one year, and that's not going to happen, but it's going to be close. So I'm trying to cover a chapter a day, or a chapter a week, and that hasn't been easy, but it's been fruitful. In our chapter today, chapter 35, this chapter is unlike most chapters that chronicle the life of that patriarch, Jacob, in that there's no mention of Jacob sinning in this chapter. This doesn't mean that Jacob didn't sin during this time period, but this chapter is given to us for a different reason. This chapter is given to us to demonstrate the steadfast love of God and the overarching hand of kindness of God in the life of this man. This this chapter, this chapter concludes that Shechem travesty, marks the beginning of a new era in the life of Jacob. It reiterates the covenant promise of God, and it's all punctuated by four funerals. And funerals, these days are like many other things within our society in that they have fallen on hard times. People now have celebrations of life instead of funerals, casting aside the reality of what has happened to that person, trying to change the truth of why this has happened and even what is going to happen to all people. And instead, focusing in on how that person lived well, how, how they lived life to the fullest, made a lasting and a permanent impact on society. But the reality is, however, that death is unnatural. And most people do not live life to the fullest, even if you have a basic understanding or a definition of what fullest means. And they do not live leave a lasting impression on many people. And most, if not 99.9% of all people, Will at best, and this is at best, they will at best end up being a name on a plaque, on a wall, or of stone someplace, and very little more. And this is the reality for most people, for most of us sitting here in this room, if you are living for this life. But in a chapter that is marked with surprising and amazing grace, God places four funerals. Funerals that are placed precisely to illuminate the reality, to demonstrate promises being fulfilled, and the steadfast love of the Lord. Funeral number one. Verse one. Then God said to Jacob, Arise. Go up to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. When God spoke to Jacob, he did so with four commands, a fourfold command Arise, go, live there, build me an altar. No covenant promises made, no attaboys, Jacob, you've done pretty good. He just showed up and he gave a fourfold command. And to Jacob, this was a blessing. In his life. Saints, you will know, you will be able to determine when you truly are seeking the Lord in your life, when a command by him comes to you, even if it comes in the form of a rebuke. When that happens, when that rebuke happens and there's joy brought to your heart, you will know that you truly are seeking God. Because there will be times in your walk with the Lord when you will wonder, have I crossed the line? Why am I not hearing from the Lord? Why am I not feeling His presence? There will be times when you get to a place where you feel very much alone and you wonder, where is God at? Where am I? And then God will speak. Sometimes it'll happen in a rebuke from a brother or a sister or from a message or a sermon that you hear or from a passage from the written word of God. But very often it's also that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And this is where Jacob was at. Do you remember the events from our last chapter? The moral failure of Jacob to protect his only daughter? To teach her and train her up in righteousness. The moral failure by Jacob to train up his sons for righteousness and how they acted against that town of Shechem. Jacob looked around at the mess that he had made of his life. Four wives, an unruly family, a defiled daughter. And he knew, this is all my fault. He he knew that he was responsible for how his children acted because he had taught them how to act in the manner that he had lived his life. They learned how to live, how to act by how he had acted to Laban and how he had even treated their mothers. He had made shipwreck of his life and he knew that the covenant promises that God had made to him long ago should never be kept. He could vividly remember the events at Bethel. Those many years ago when the Lord appeared to him, spoke to him there. He could remember the Lord's command to leave Laban. The Lord appearing to him then, that faithful night that he wrestled with the Lord and was given a new name, a name that he hasn't lived up to. God said, I'm Israel, governed by God. But I continue to act like Jacob, the heel snatcher. And then God said to Jacob, Saints, when the Lord has taken you to the mat, when you come to the end of yourself and you're given eyes to see the reality of who you are, the reality of the utter destruction that you have made of your life, it is then that any word from the Lord, the fact that he would speak to you at all, no matter what he says, His voice is truly the balm of Gilead to your soul. And in that moment, obedience will not be an issue to you any more than it was to Jacob, verses 2 through 4. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you and cleanse yourself and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the days of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had, and the rings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was near Shechem. Jacob hears that fourfold command of God, and he's very happy to obey. And don't be surprised by what what he says and he tells his family. Go gather up all the toys and the trinkets of the world, the false god-worshipping entertainment that you have picked up along the way, don't be surprised by that. Because we, every one of us, we have all allowed false gods to be worshipped in our families, in our lives. Often, the false gods that we have, they don't, they're not little statues that we worship. Very often in our culture, especially this culture, the false gods that we worship, they come in the forms of ones and zeros and dollars and cents. Oh, We might be faithful in giving as long as the, the economy continues to grow. But if you know, if, if you're changing, if your actions, if your giving changes and diminishes based not on your income but on your outgo, you know that there's a false god in your midst. Or they can come in the form of a physical being. Very often, our spouses or our children. And God gave four clear commands to Jacob. Arise, go, live, and build me an altar. He never said anything about getting rid of false gods, of cleansing or changing garments. These things all came from Jacob. But they all came from Jacob understanding his Lord and the relationship that comes with sonship. They weren't additions given to the command of the Lord, like the Jews will do to the ten words, the ten commandments that he will give later. These, These are all essential requirements that are necessary to carry out the commands of the Lord. You see, the Old Testament is very often referred to as pictures or types that New Testament truths reveal the meaning of. And this is one of those pictures. You see, God has called an elect people, and that call is a command. Go to Bethel, to the house of God. But before they can go to the house of God, they must be washed and they must be changed. And I hope that there's some bells going off in your head now. Maybe some New Testament truths that are, you're thinking about, such as John 13, 8, when Jesus answered his disciples, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And as you sit here in what you think is the house of God, because you're in a building, I have to ask you, are you outside of the family of God? Are you one of those that has just been hanging around the family, but haven't been washed, haven't been made clean? Do you not realize that unless and until you obey the commands of God, that you cannot enter Beth-El, the house of God? You can come to church, but that will do you no more good than it did to Judas. Have you heard the call of God? Come home, sinner. You are outside of me. You are under my wrath and you are in need of a Savior. Have you heard that call? What am I to do? Acts 2, 37 and 38. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But but can't I just go visit Bethel? I mean, do I really need to commit? Do I really need to be changed and washed? Well, turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible with you, There are some on the back table. And this is one of those reasons why I highly recommend a paper Bible and not an electronic one. Because it's easy in a paper Bible to actually do the unthinkable, to write in it, to actually take notes, pointing back to this chapter as an explanation of Genesis 35 and pointing forward to Ephesians 5 as an explanation of it. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 30. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So Jacob was given a fourfold command. And here in these two verses, we are given a fourfold command as well. Imitate God. Act as as a beloved child. Walk in love. Live sacrificially. And then beginning at verse 3 of Ephesians 5, we are told of those things that we need to gather up to get rid of, to be able to obey that fourfold command, just like Jacob told his clan. But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not be named among you as is proper among the saints, nor filthiness and foolish talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty." That no one sexually immoral or impure or greedy who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of that light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not partake in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it's disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things when invis- become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper. Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And that last verse there, that last verse that I just read there, there is the changing that is required to be part of Bethel. And this is where we can get confused by Scripture, where and how we can get off base concerning the Lord. We, we, We think that to be a Christian, we are supposed to do in order to be a good person. And don't get me wrong, there are requirements that come with being part of the family of God. But it's that last verse that I read. Is that last verse is the one thing that you need to do to be part of Bethel. All you need to do is rise from the dead. Can't do it? Then why do you think? that all those other requirements that precede that command, why do you look at them and think, I can do that? You must be washed. You must be changed. And you don't do this. God does this. And we can get very confused by the difference, which is why we read the, when we read these verses, we make a moral checklist in our heart. Instead of just rejoicing because of what the Lord has done in us. And the next verse in Ephesians 5 also causes us some consternation. Verse 15 of Ephesians 5. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And on account of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, as we talked about last week again, there are three wills of the Lord as told to us in the Bible. Which which one is it meaning here? Which one are these wills of God are we supposed to understand this is? Because Paul's pretty adamant that we are supposed to know that what we will, what the will of the Lord is in our life, which is why he starts this verse by telling us not to be foolish. So what is the will of God for us? How do we know what it is? Can we know what it is? Well, luckily, Christ gave a summation of the will of God in Mark 3.35. He said there, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. And you're thinking, what? If you have been saved, if you have been adopted into the family of God, by God, for God, then you are doing the will of God. And this is just a summation of the will of God for you and for all the elect. But wait, there's more. Verse 18 of Ephesians 5. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. The will of God for you is for you to know who you are in Him, and then to be thankful. And this is the same thing that we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, when we're told, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We are told in 1 Peter 2.15 that our life should be marked by good works. And to understand what God means by good works, we're given uh, Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. How do we do that? The rest of the verses from Ephesians 5 reveal what is meant by that. Verses 22 through 30. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be um, to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he himself might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And there there is that washing. There is Bethel for the believer. You see, Bethel is not a place. It's a people. Revelation 21.2, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And in those verses, these verses, we see how important the church is to Christ. Yes, he died specifically for you. But he died for you to be a member of his church, his local body, here that represents him in this world, in this flesh. Which begs the question, how important is church to you? Have you even coveted it with a local body of believers? And just as important, if not more so, are you active within that body? Do you regularly reach out to the others of that body? Make that body a part of your life? You see, because we have been taught to be consumers in this culture And we have been taught that as long as you at least join a church, you have done your part. You are doing your part. But Christ used the covenant of marriage as an analogy for the relationship between Him and the church. And you covenanting with a local body is you covenanting with Him. And this is good. But what is, in your own definition, a good and faithful spouse, how would you define that? Would you say that a husband that comes home or a wife that comes home 50% of the time determined that there are more important things to do, funner things to do than to be with their spouse, would you call that person a good and faithful spouse? how about you and the covenant that you've made with your body, with this body, with this church? Or or how about that spouse that's unwilling to engage, not willing to open up, not willing to allow their spouse in, refuses to get into the life of their spouse? Or what about that spouse that squanders the finances of their family? That man who takes the money that God has given him for the benefit of his family and squanders it at the racetrack or the casino or at the sporting goods store. I need that new car. I need that new toy. I deserve that new set of nails. We have been taught To think that our relationship, my relationship with the Lord is all that matters. Even though the word of God is clear. That we, we are supposed to be part of his family. We think that we're just individuals. That we have a personal relationship with God. And that we are individually saved. And yes, Christ did die for you, but he died for you in order that you could be part of him, part of his body. And are you unaware of how important you are in this body? Do you not know Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, where he said he gave himself some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, For the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God. Listen to the inclusive talk in these verses. This is not for one person. It's for the body to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the love and truth, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is, Christ, from whom the whole body, being joined and held together, By what every joint supplies, according to the properly measured working of each individual part, that is you, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And those verses are all one sentence, meaning that it's all tied together for the benefit and the fullness of the body of Christ. Are you part of the body of Christ? Has he made you his son? Has he adopted you into his family? He hasn't done this for you. If he has, he has done this for his glory and for your good. And your good includes changing your mind, changing your understanding of the church and becoming a good and faithful spouse to your groom. And this is not my opinion. This is not my soapbox, my little hobby horse. This is the word of God, the will of God, the God who desires much more for you than what you've come accustomed to. And if you have issues with being told to engage, to make the church your life, those issues are not with me. They're with God. And in our account from today, Jacob knew that going to Beth El was not like traveling to any other town. He was going home. He was taking his family home, and he was serious about the God that was his home. As He states in verse 2, when he says, let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God, the God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. And those foreign gods and those rings that were given to Jacob surrendered to him there. They were more than likely part of that plunder that his sons had picked up when they had plundered Shechem. And they needed to be left there, not sold, not melted down, not cashed in, not put on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist because they have some monetary value. Jacob understood if they weren't good for his family. They weren't good for any family. So they were buried and left before they went on that journey to Bethel. That's funeral number one. Funeral number two. Then they journeyed on, and there was a terror from God upon the cities which were around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. The thing that Jacob was concerned about after his boys murdered and plundered Shechem was this reality, that the locals in the surrounding areas were going to find out about the actions that his sons had done, and they were going to determine But they needed to go have a conversation with Jacob, do a little wall-to-wall counseling with him. They rightfully understood that what had happened there was evil and was warlike. And since they were acting in that manner, they deserved to get what they had dished out. And Jacob knew that his men and his family would not be able to defend themselves against the locals when that happened. And that was the meaning behind verse 30 of chapter 34 when Jacob said that you have made me odious in the sight of the of the people. And he was rightfully concerned. But this didn't stop him from obeying the Lord when he was commanded just to go to Bethel. He couldn't figure out how he was going to be able to make it there. This is impossible. But as God had proven to him to be the God of the impossible over and over again, so he just went. Verse 6, Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there, and he called that place El Bethel, or God of the house of God, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother the first thing that he did when he he gets to Bethel wasn't to be concerned about his own comfort. As as he traveled, he had witnessed the hand of the Lord. God had brought terror upon those people in that area. And he was so overcome with awe for the God that had commanded his heart and his mind. First thing he does is build an altar. Which brings us then to verse 8. Then Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel, under the oak, and it was named Alon-Bakuth, or the Oak of Weeping. The worldly things that were gathered at Shechem were buried under a tree there. And now we read of Deborah, the nurse of Rebekah, Jacob's mother, being buried under a tree as well. We're never told, we never hear about the death of Rebekah, of Jacob ever seeing his mother again. We're only given this one verse concerning her nurse. This is kind of random. We're never told when Jacob was ever reunited to Deborah, how she came to be with his family. She may have been sent to him by Isaac after the death of Rebekah to tell him, to comfort him that your mother has died. We don't know. But the death of this woman is told to us to give us a marker. It, It marks the end of the era of Jacob. It's given us to close that chapter on the life of Jacob that he had been walking in these last 50 years or so. The heel snatcher stage of his life is coming to a close. And once again, this is the picture of a New Testament truth. God changes people. Amen? He takes foul, broken, and evil people and makes them new. And the weird thing is, is that we're still foul, evil, and broken, just like Jacob, but they're new. 2 Corinthians 5 17 through 20. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all of these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconcilia- reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them. And he's committed to us the word of reconciliation so that we are ambassadors for Christ as God is pleading through us. And we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He, made him to be sin who knew no sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But God has been graciously carrying and leading Jacob this entire time. He had said of Jacob before he was born that he was his chosen man, before Jacob had done anything good or even or evil. In the life of Jacob, Is a testimony. A testimony to the faithfulness of God in saving sinners and then carrying those that are His. Funeral number three. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and he blessed him. And here is reality Jacob was not a good man, Jacob was not a stellar father. Was not a good husband to any of his four wives, but he was something. He was something that he could never attain to on his own. Something that was out of his reach. He was a child of God, and as such, he was told something that is meant for us to understand as well, to own as a, for us as well. Verse ten. God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called his name Israel. And God isn't fooled here. He's not that parent who's unwilling or unable to admit the truth about their children. God knows very much who and what Jacob is. In fact, he was the one that made sure Jacob knew who he was in order that he could understand who he is in the Lord. He is Jacob, that in his flesh, that evil, completely evil man, containing no good at all. And yet, he's Israel, governed by God. And this is the same truth for all that are the joy that is set before Christ. You are evil. You are a treasonous rebel. That is deserving of death. And then an eternity of hell. But you are also in him. Which means that you are good. You're in the good. And the good has been bestowed on you. The wrath of the Father has been poured out on the Son for your sin. And now you're good. You, like Jacob, are now Israel, governed by God. And then he is told why this all matters. Verse 11, God said, I am God Almighty. Verse 11 is not a filler verse. It's not just a random verse. God is making sure that Jacob knew, that he understood, that he recognized who was talking to him. And this is essential. This is the essential verse in this chapter. All things happen only because of this verse. And this is the reason that anything happens, that there is matter at all. And this is the reason why the command of God to Jacob to head to Bethel was able to be fulfilled. The reason why that Jacob even desired to obey, the reason that he was able to obey the reason that he obeyed i am god almighty and even more than this this is the reason that there is a beth in beth el he is the house in the house of god he he is the savior the redeemer the original creator and the recreator in the life of jacob Saints, know this is truth in your life as well. If if you know that the Lord is God, if you know that in your heart, you do so only because God is God Almighty. He has determined that it will bring him great glory to redeem you, and so he did. And for this reason, he gives you commands, knowing that his commandments are his enablements. Has not Jacob shown, demonstrated what it, the truth that I just said? Has he not made shipwreck of his life? Didn't he continually sin and not act in a holy manner? Yes. Yes to all these things. And yet here he is on his way to Bethel. Having fulfilled every perfect plan that God had predestined in his life. We, we are to know that no matter how badly you have blown it, no matter what your life looks like now, the truth of God's word is the truth of God, and it will stand. And this is why we are given Romans eight thirty one through 39. What then are we to say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? who we we, I'm sorry he who indeed did not spare his own Son but delivered him all over for all of us, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one that justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes. Rather, he is the one who raised, who is now at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction, turmoil, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, the sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we are given chapters such as ours from today, accounts such as ours as Jacob and the other patriarchs for a reason. God then told Jacob, be fruitful and multiply. A nation, and an assembly of nations shall come from you. Kings shall come forth from your loins. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give to the land to your seed after you. Has this happened? Did that happen? Because the, the covenant that Jacob had been told that had been made with his grandfather Abraham so many years ago, that covenant that he had been told had been passed on to his father so long ago, the one that he had hoped for was going to be his, is now being told to as his. And the question that that I'm posing to you, the question that God wants you to ask and answer, in light of Romans 8, did these things come to pass concerning Jacob? Despite the failure and the evilness of Jacob, if this is true, Since this is true, you, you are to know that the same is true for you concerning Christ. Nothing, no one, including yourself, can remove you from Christ. Nothing, no one. Verses 13 through 15 of Genesis 35. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar, of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it. And he also poured out oil on it. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. So Jacob was in the house of God. Things are seemingly going great. Families all there. God has once again revealed himself to Jacob. The covenant has been specifically given to him. He's home. He's with his family. All is good. And then we're given verses 16 through 21. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and there was still some distance to go to Eprath, and Rachel gave birth, and she suffered severely in her labor. Now it happened that when she was in severe labor, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for now you have another son. Now it happened as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Ben-Onai. And his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, that is, to Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Then Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. The question we should be asking, the question that you so often ask is, why why Lord when things are seemingly going so well why do you bring these painful things into my life why do you allow this travesty this hardship to happen in my life this is not what I need in my life right now John 16 33 in the world you will have tribulation but take courage I've overcome the world Did you notice in our story, in our account from today, who it is? Look at our account today. Look at who it is that sets up that pillar over her grave, who is specifically mentioned as setting up that pillar over her grave. It's Jacob. Who is it that continues on in his journey? It's Israel. Jacob in his flesh loved Rachel more than all of the other wives that he had, at least up until this point in his life. And like the old man of his flesh that needed to be buried with Deborah, his worldly affection for this woman needed to be buried and left as well. He was being forced to understand something that we will all need to understand when we hang on to the things of this world much too tightly. Hebrews 13, 14 For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the one to come. This world is not our home. That person, your wife, your husband, your children, your grandchildren, they can't be your rock. They cannot be the most important person in your life because God knows something about us. God knows. That if life is easy here in this world, if he makes this world for us all candy and vacations, we would never long for home. We'd settle in. We'd worship this fallen, evil world and not long for home. And we were not created for this world the first time or the second see, Adam and Eve, were, they were not created for the garden. The garden was created for them. They were created to bring glory to God through their love and adoration of him. Through them mimicking their love for each other and for the things that they were placed over. And they turned Judas on him and committed suicide and plunged this world into chaos. And we, we the redeemed, we are now returned to that place of Adam and Eve. We are in Christ And we are to live like it, knowing that if there's any good in us, it is only a reflection of the good that is in us because of him, bringing glory to his name through the love that he has given to us. And we should be longing for home, just as Jacob longed to go to Bethel. But heaven is not our home. That is not what I'm saying here. If you are longing to go to heaven, you may end up getting there and be going to be sorely disappointed because it is not going to be where Christ is. Christ is your home. This world is not our home. Our world, our home is perfect. This world is fallen, sinful, not perfect. But there is, however, one thing in this world that is perfect, the only thing that is perfect in this creation now, that will not be changed when God changes everything, creates a new heaven and an earth. It's a thing I was telling you that we need to be living for. It's this church. There are no perfect church is, but the church is perfect. And this is home. This. Is home, away from home. Everything else groans in its affliction to sin, Romans 8.22. Funeral number four, verse 22. Now it happened while Israel was dwelling in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it, and there were twelve sons of Jacob, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, then Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant woman, Dan and Naphtali, sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant woman, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padanaram. And the things that are told to us happening in verse 22. That was an affront to the patriarchal authority of Jacob. His oldest son, after his favored wife of Jacob dies, after, after Rachel dies, he takes her handmaid and has relationships with her. Maybe to solidify his place as the oldest son with his younger brothers, because they are the ones that took the lead with Dinah. But more than likely, it was to demonstrate to his old man, I'm the man. And we're never told of Jacob ever saying anything, doing anything of the, because of the actions of Reuben. Was he just weak? Was he that timid? Was he afraid of his son? Or perhaps he was merely demonstrating another one of those New Testament truths that we are told Romans 12, 16 through 19. Do not be wise in your own mind. Never paying back evil for evil to anyone, respecting what is good in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, being at peace with all men, never taking your own revenge, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And God does deal with Reuben for his actions, no matter the reason why he did this. In Genesis 49, verses 3 through 4, we are told when the birth, when the, the blessings were being given out, Israel says to Reuben, You are my firstborn, my might and my beginning of my vigor, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in strength, uncontrolled as water. You shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch, and his birthright will be given to the sons of Joseph. And this, this incident is told to us in our chapter from today. This is the reason that is stated as to why his birthright was given to those sons. First Chronicles 5, 1. And this brings us to the end of this chapter, verses 27 through 29. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre at Keriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had journeyed. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people, an old man and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. And this is the final funeral given to us, and it's given to us not only to tie up this chapter, but also the patriarchy up to this point. And it's also given to us to cause us to think. Once again, our culture has been allowed to infect and even affect the theology within the church. We have a bad understanding of life and death. We are taught, don't think about death. Thinking about death, that's macabre. That's mentally unhealthy. You need to live your life for the fullest. We, we need to strive to remain looking young, to being young. Color your hair. Get transplants. Get those tummy tucks. Get plastic surgery. Do everything and anything you can to stay young. And is it no wonder that the world does this since we're told in 1 John 5.19 that the whole world is under the power of the evil one. That the evil one, the father, is the father of lies, John 8.45. That he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10. 10. We, we are told and we believe here very often that death is natural that it's just one of those facts of life, it's inevitable. There's only two things in life that you can count on, death and taxes. And this brings me full circle back to that thing that I said about how funerals in our day have fallen on hard times. You See, pagans no longer are given funerals that tell them truth. They are now given celebrations of life, which are nothing but lies from the pit of hell. We humans were not created to die. And at the same time, hear me on this. You need to understand this in your head. We were not created immortal, which is why there was a tree of life in the garden, in the center of the garden, the tree that was next to that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One tree sustained life in obedience to God, and one tree brought death and separation Adam and Eve could eat of the one tree and they were told that they were to eat of that tree and partake of all the rest of the good things within that God had created them. And as long as they did, for as long as they did, they would remain in perfect harmony with the creator and the lover of their soul. But they sinned. They disobeyed and they died and they brought death into the created realm and now everyone and everything dies. It is a constant reminder of the reality of God in our realm. Our society humankind can do everything that they want to try and throw God out but they cannot stop the reality of God in death. We can do nothing to escape that reality. We humans, though, we're trying our very level best to throw God out. We've thrown Him out of our country. We've thrown Him out of everything, even thrown Him out of the church. And now we're trying to usurp His authority and to live forever. But God is God, and His wrath will stand. And saints, no matter how beautiful any day is, no matter how beautiful and happy you are on that day that she finally tells you, I love you. And everything is like, this is the best day ever. There is nothing but greatness and beauty in this world. That same day is marred with the reality of the stench of death. Death is not natural. It's not the good that God created. And that's why death hurts. It's supposed to. It's the wages of sin. It's the sting that the serpent holds sway over with in this realm. And we don't really truly understand that the death that happens in this realm, that's really not even the real death. The real death has already happened to us. When Adam sinned and separated us from the love of God, On that day he died, and all his prodigy with him. And this is why, this is why we should mourn when a person dies. Because this is not supposed to be how it was. And we have done this to ourselves. And this is the end of all of us. Doesn't matter if you're four weeks old, or if you're 86 years old. This is the end. This is how it ends for all of us. And this is why we should mourn, why we should mourn over those that die outside of Christ. But those that die inside of Christ, yes, we can feel sorry we're going to miss them, but we shouldn't mourn over them because they don't really die. They're just transformed. This is the understanding of the death in the first century church. They mourned for the loss of their loved ones. And then they celebrated that day as their birthday of that loved one. That was the day that they were ushered into the reality of the eternal, the Savior, Bethel. They were safe at home. They were at the true Bethel. And this is why Jesus could speak to living, breathing human beings and tell them, You're already dead. That you don't have life. John 3:36. Whoever believes in me, he's talking to real people. Whoever believes in me, believes in the Son, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And this is why he can make up those outlandish. Statements and promises to those that are his joy, such as John eight fifty five, truly, truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And yet, do we not die? How could he make that statement? He can make these promises because of the truth that he is, as told to us in Isaiah twenty five eight. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. End of sentence. How has he done this? What price has been paid by him for you to never taste the real death? Hebrews 2.14 Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood He himself likewise partook upon the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Yes, we are redeemed. Yes, we are the children of God. He has made sufficient that sufficient sacrifice to bring us back into his family. But even after regeneration, we should be asking, even after regeneration, our sin nature remains, which is why we die in this realm in order that we don't die in the next. 1 John 5.12 Whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have the son does not have life. And this is the truth of life. The faithfulness of God to you. told to us in 1 Corinthians 15, 50-57, where he says, Now I say this, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This is why we still die in this realm, because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the corruptible inherit the incorruptible. But behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the last trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible must put on the incorruptible and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this corruptible puts on the incorruptible and this mortal puts on the immortality, then will come about the word that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, Where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this, saints, is the steadfast love of the Lord as demonstrated to you, demonstrated for you, Just like in the life of that man, Jacob, who is just like you. Flawed, marred by sin, consumed with stupidity and evil through and through. And yet, and yet, listen how the Lord looked at that stupid, flawed man. But now thus says Yahweh, your creator, O Jacob, And he who formed you, O Israel, listen to the Lord, the word of the Lord for you. If you are his children, if he has redeemed you, listen to the heart of the Lord for you. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You were mine when you passed through the waters. I will be with you, and through the rivers they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And I have given Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place, since you are precious in my eyes. Saints, do you know that that's how God sees you? You were precious in his eyes. Since you were precious in my eyes, since you were honored and I love you, I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your lives. Isaiah 43, one through four. We will all have funerals in our life. Others around us, And then us. But never fear. The steadfast love of the Lord will abound to you. And you can take that to the bank and cash it. Because of verse 11 of chapter 35. In Genesis. Because I am God almighty. Let's pray.